Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? I'm on call today. Yeah? How's that going? Nothing yet. So we'll see. It's going for the week. So on top of that, remember last time we talked about your work doing tech the halls? Yep. So I went to my manager and asked, hey, my co-host is doing this. And then it was really funny because my manager responded with, you know, we're actually thinking about doing something called Code Chill. Nice. And <laughs> so we were planning on not deploying unless it was a critical deploy next week because our company is also giving us a week off for Christmas to New Year's. So yeah, it'd be really nice. I'm planning on tackling a little bit of tech debt. Very fun. Very fun. And for the listeners who don't know, well, they obviously don't know because I only showed you this, <laughs> but right before we started this podcast, I showed Julie what I have been working on at Podia for Tech the Halls, which for some reason I want to call it Tech-sember and I don't know why. I showed Julie what I've been working on and it's just about done and I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, having a blast. Oh, and for the listeners who didn't listen to that episode, we'll put it in the show notes because yep. this will make sense if you listen yep. to it first. Definitely listen to that one first and then come back or just keep going because today we want to talk about kind of work processes and how we work, how our teams function. And I've been on a few different teams, so I'm going to talk about a few different ways and compare contrast the way different teams work. Maybe you'll find something that you like from the way I've worked in the past. Maybe I'll find something the way you work and then maybe we can implement that change. Who knows? And to the listeners, maybe you can as well. So Julie, how do you work? I've been on two different teams since working at Code Academy, and in the first team, I want to say we didn't actually have a clearly defined process, or maybe I was just really new and didn't know exactly what the process was because we didn't have sprints at least when I started, and it was kind of just like a backlog and pick up tickets. And at some point, I was assigned tickets from our PM. In the current team that I'm on, we do sprints, two-week sprints. And I'll have you explain what a sprint is. So a sprint is a agile term. And I guess maybe I should define agile. But first, there's so many ways to define agile. But a sprint is a set period of time during which specific work has to be completed and made ready for review. So basically, a sprint is like, okay, in this time box, and that's a key point to a sprint is this time boxed. We are going to complete all of these tasks in this one sprint. And then in the next sprint, we'll complete these tasks. And the idea is to not let tasks bleed over. It's like you only assign what you know you can complete in that sprint. And that comes with a lot of practice and time, but you get better. And it also forces you to break down tasks a lot more. Instead of a big task, you have a lot of smaller tasks. So agile software development, actually, have you ever heard of waterfall development? I have heard of it, but I don't remember what it is. So a lot of people also liken it to baking cake. It's basically this idea of like, okay, we need to build some software. You're my product manager and you're like, okay, I need you to go build all the software and I'm going to describe it to you and just go build it. And I'm going to like, okay. And then a few months later, I'm going to come back with the completed product and I'm like, here it is. 
all you want it. It's all done. And then you're going to obviously look at it and be like, oh, well, I want all these things changed. And so the waterfall starts back over. You give me all these requirements. I go off for a while. I come back. I can give you the completed project. And then it's not iterative, really. It's like one flowing process that starts over instead of iterating. Because you start over back at the top of like, okay, I now have all these new requirements and that you need to fix. So it's kind of inefficient. Very inefficient, which is why agile is very popular among most software teams, I believe. If they don't call it agile, they're probably doing something similar or they're at least they've taken ideas from agile. It's just it's all encompassing right now. It's very popular. But what it is basically is is an iterative methodology for building software where your requirements and your solutions evolve through collaboration through those different teams. So I guess I left out a step in that waterfall. So you tell a designer what you want them to build and the designer gives me the design, I build it, and then I give someone to test it and they test it and then it's done. So there's no iteration, there's no communication between teams. It's just like one thing. And then with Agile, it's much more like, okay, the product manager and the designer and the developers are like working as a group, maybe in a small group, and you're closely tackling like these features for this specific thing. And then you deliver it. That's a big part of Agile is like delivering these small iterative changes. So instead of delivering one big finished project, you deliver a piece of it. And then you do another sprint, deliver a piece, another sprint piece. And that way, if something messes up or if you need to go back to the drawing board, it's not as costly. And you can deliver features instead of products, basically. Tying back to the baking a cake thing, is this like you have a finished cake and then you bring it back and then that's when they say, oh, well, I want different colored frosting. Yes. To build a cake, I go out, get all the ingredients, make the cake and then deliver it. And then you're like, oh, well, I want these changes. But now those changes aren't really possible now because either I'm done and now you need to find another developer team. Like if you're working with like contractors or something, that's a lot of times where you'll see this is like, you'll be like, hey, contractors, go build this thing. And they come back and it's like, that's not what I wanted at all. And too late. Now you have to hire them for a new cycle or you need to find more. It's headache inducing. And so if we want to deliver as much value to our customers as quickly as possible, then agile is the way to go. I don't want to get into scrums and swim lanes and points and all that. I mean, we might touch on points organically, but other than that. So yeah, that's what agile is. like some homework to look up. Well, scrum is just basically a meeting that you have like every day or something or every week or whatever. So, but there's more to it, but that's basically part of it. Anyway, do you guys point your stories? So like if I give you a story... Do you point at me like, oh, this is two points. I expect this to take you the amount of time we suspect two points to take, which may be a day or two days. Do y'all do that? First of all, what's a story? So the sprint is made up of stories. So tasks, basically. Oh, or tickets. Yeah, tickets. They're called, in Agile, they're called stories specifically. Yes, tickets. So your sprint is made up of tickets for you. And do y'all assign like a point value to those at all? Yes. So we have a meeting every week called Backlog Rooming, where Mm -hmm. any tickets that have not been pointed, we will take a vote. And we use the Fibonacci scale. So a one point ticket might be a one line change or something very simple. Like a half day thing. (laughs) Copy change. Yeah, a half day, I guess. And a two-point ticket may be more involved. Maybe it 
takes more time to do, but it's still relatively not complex. And then three is more complex. And then five, we don't want to go any more than five. I think at that point, it's better to break the ticket up into smaller pieces. But a five would be something like a bug that you really have no idea where to start or a spike, like a need to research on something before you implement something. How about you? Gotcha. So I'll talk about the way we work at Podia later because it's very different, but I have worked in agile workshops before. And so we did 1.2 points, 4 points, 8 points instead of what you said, 1, 2, 3, 5, 7? 1, 2, 3, 5, 8. Yeah. So we did one, two, four, eight. And so the way we kind of thought about them, and there's a lot more nuance to this, but if I give you a one point store, I expect it to be done in half a day or less so that I expect you to be able to do that in one day, basically. Two points is more of like a day or two. Four points is closer to like four days, a week, maybe. And then eight points, we tried to not do any eight point stories, but they were basically like two week stories, maybe more. Okay. So your points are actually by time our points are more by how complex we think it is complexity relates to time though to some people we're getting into like how do you point things which is a very hard topic that's fair because at the same time you also have juniors and seniors and a mix of people that know the code base well and maybe they're seniors but they don't know the code base as well and i think our goal was that it wouldn't matter what level you were. It was not encouraged. I had one coworker who really was like, you are not allowed to change the story points. What you'll often find though, is that like you're working on a one and then it just balloons. And suddenly like there's things and you didn't think about and issues that people didn't plan for. And now it's a four, right? And you're working on it for like a week or something. One of my coworkers was like, you cannot change the story. But if you're getting evaluated based on those story points, like if you have a certain quota of story points, you have to hit in a quarter in the year or whatever, you kind of have to almost. Yeah, pointing things in general, like deciding like how long will something take and like how do you decide, is this a one for me and a two for someone else or how do we make that distinction? I think a lot of it kind of went to like, we try to give the seniors the more bigger complex stories, let the juniors and the mid devs pick up the stuff down the chain a little bit. Obviously not exclusively because you don't want your senior only working on the hard stuff. If he goes somewhere then, or they go somewhere, (laughs) then it's gone. So it's hard to balance it out. But pairing is a big part of agile and, or at least I think it is. And so that's where you can get a lot of benefit of like, okay, this is a two. And for this junior specifically based on their knowledge that maybe it's actually kind of a four. But if we pair them up with a senior, then it goes back to a two. And when you think about the complexity of the task, right? Because that's why I said time and complexity are very much related here. The complexity relates to the time often, I think, at least in my mind. So I don't know. It's hard. Very hard. To the point that you were saying to not change story points, I tend not to change mine, even if it blew up or if a three-point ticket ended up being really easy. I won't change the story point, which actually works in my favor, but we don't actually get evaluated on our performance in that way. If something was a two and it was meant to be a three, I don't often change that, but sometimes I will. I think it's more likely that we will change to a higher point than to reduce our point. Well, a lot of the 
thinking behind not changing it is the idea with Agile is that you meet at the end of like the cycle and you go and have like a post sprint breakdown of like, okay, what worked, what didn't work, this and that. And that's where you would be like, okay, we pointed these stories incorrectly. This was really a for what it's meant to do is to like enhance the overall team. And so in the future, you can point it more appropriately. But if you're getting evaluated on it, like I was for a certain period of time evaluated on how many points I was doing. And if you're in that situation, then I mean, 100% incentivized to like update those points because you're like, okay, I spent a week on this. It's only pointed a one and I need a certain amount of points at the end of the year. So I'm obviously going to change this because I want them to know I was doing stuff. So but that's the idea of not changing them so that everyone gets better and everyone improves and like the overall ability to like calculate the points improves. That makes a lot of sense. So if you were on a two-week sprint, then you might have, it sounds like you're describing what we call at my work, a sprint retro, mm-hmm. where we have a team meeting and they can name these different things, but basically the positives, the not so positive, the learnings and action items that come out. Is everyone encouraged to speak or is there kind of like one project leader of the developers talking? We have kind of a sprint leader for each sprint. So I once led the sprint where I would lead these meetings. And I want to say I led one retro. I led two retros so far. We also switched the way that we do retros. We used FigJam once and Mm -hmm. FigJam is nice because it's very visual. So you can use sticky notes and put what you want to put and everyone can see what everyone's putting. So if you forget something, you might get reminded by what someone else is putting and it's not anonymized. And then we just recently switched over to Parable to test it out. And Parable, you can anonymize it or not, but you can't see what the other person is typing until all the cards are revealed. So it's nice because you don't have to think about, oh, maybe I don't want to say this because I don't want people to think it's coming from me. And so I think being anonymous allows you to maybe be more truthful. I don't know which method our team likes better. We're still kind of evaluating. I will say FigJam, it's a collaborative whiteboard kind of thing built into Figma. Everyone can like add stuff and it's meant to be like a collaborative tool. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoReels for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoReels. Not only does GoReels provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. We kind of did something similar, except it was not with any sort of tool. It was just a meeting. And usually there was a developer that was like kind of leading the developers and there was a product manager and the designer and all the developers would come, but the lead developer would usually speak for everyone. And now when I went to a different team, it was much more intentional of like going through each developer and be like, what worked, what didn't work? What are your thoughts? And like actually making sure those thoughts were heard. Because what I found end up happening a lot is like 
just what you were saying, there's maybe feedback that I want to say, but like maybe I forgot to tell my lead developer or maybe they forget or maybe I don't want to tell them for whatever reason, you know, if someone's speaking for the whole team, a lot of those like smaller pieces can get left out. So I really like what y'all are doing. That's really cool. Using like some sort of software like that is really smart. I like that. It's also really structured. So when I was leading the Fig Jam meeting, there was no structure. So I often forgot, okay, what do I do next? How many minutes is each thing? But with Parable, it's like you just click continue and it tells you what you need to do next. So it was nice for juniors to get into the habit of doing these things and not really knowing what the process is. I like that a lot. Now, I don't work like that at Podia, but I've worked like that for the majority of my career, except when I worked at CodeFund. And CodeFund, though, was a lot more collaborative because I became like the lead developer. So I was the one picking out tasks a lot of the time. And we had a small team, so we didn't really need a whole project management suite. But Podia works a lot similar to the way I think a lot of us know Basecamp works in that it's a lot more long-form content, a lot less emphasis on no sprints. It's very project-focused. So instead of like, hey, we're going to do a sprint and we're going to do this and this, we make projects and we work towards those projects And there aren't really cycles inside of them. But if the projects are too big, they'll be split out or split between teams. The project I was just doing got split between a front end and a back end team. And it's a lot more, like I said, written content based. We use Basecamp and someone is going in there and writing tasks. There's no points. There's just the task description and like any collaboration that needs to go on about that task will happen in that Basecamp description. And in Basecamp, you can have projects and separate them and create hill charts and all this stuff. So we do all of that. And at the end of the week, the champion is what we call them. The champion of the project will write up a description of everything everyone worked on, what was accomplished. And that keeps our CEO, our CTO, our designer in the loop. And yeah, so it's very project-based. Instead of being like two weeks, we do this work. Next two weeks, we do this work. And so you're like basically grouped up with someone else or maybe multiple other developers on the project and you work till it's done. And so I've worked on three projects. It's really two, but I'm going to call it three. The first project I did was rewriting our checkout at Podia, which I did probably up until the summer. And then I rewrote one of our tables with Turbo. It's a seamless reflex and did a bunch of other things and added infinite pagination and just kind of some like changes to the way our tables work. And this last project was filtering and segments and all this stuff for our audience table. And so those are the three projects I've worked on at Podia for the most part. Nice. So how do you determine how long a project might take? Or is there no estimation? This was a question I forgot to ask you. Who assigns points to stories for y'all? Is it the developers or is it project management? We take a vote. So okay, we just point with our fingers and... Oftentimes as the junior who is on a very front end focused team, don't know how complex something might be. I look to see how other people are pointing, but keeping a number in my mind and then kind of gauging from then. Gotcha. I wanted to ask you, so when your project manager points things, do they have to be technical in order to know how long something might take? It depends on the shop. And From my perspective, if you have a project management team that knows the product intimately, then it is possible for them to be able to point them by themselves. But then I find the most helpful 
thing after that is then having the lead developer come back and check and like verify. If they know the product very well and you have a good team, then 100% they could do it. They don't have to be technical. Cool. You asked me a question and that was who picks the projects and who like assigns the time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So our CEO, Spencer, is very involved in that. I think he works with our lead designer and Jamie, our CTO, and maybe even Jason, who is like basically the lead developer to kind of figure out some of that. But Spencer does all that and I'm happy for that. He's like, here's what we're going to work on. And but the best part about it is that by the time the project gets to the developers, it's already gone through the product iteration. Like Spencer's already thought about what this feature is, what he wants it to do, what he wants it to look like. Our designer has already made a mock-up of all the screens, of all the components. And then by the time it gets to the developers, it's like, okay, here's the mock-ups. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. And now y'all make tasks and build out this project. So the champion of the project is just in charge of picking the tasks, but our CEO is in charge of picking the projects. So a champion is kind of like a tech leading a project? Yep. I think you said that you led a project. You would be the champion in our system for that. Got it. It's basically like the point person. If our designer needs something or, you know, we want to talk about features or something's not working with it and we're testing it or something like that's the person you go to to discuss. I mean, it could be all together, right? It might be in a group Slack message and we're discussing it or it might be one-on-one with that developer and then they're going into Basecamp and updating tasks accordingly and communicating with the other developers on that team. So since you don't have sprints, what are your meetings like, team meetings? I love this about Podia because we really don't do team meetings much. Every Monday morning, we have like maybe five to 15 minute meeting with the whole company. And each department goes through kind of what they are working on and what happened last week. And then each of the developer teams, so each team that's working on a specific project will go through what they did last week and what they're doing this week. And it's very quick. And what it is is Spencer takes all of the base camp data basically, and I'm assuming from other departments, it might be a little different from the developers. He reads through our base camp updates that the project leader posts on every Friday. And then he writes an email on like Saturday or Sunday that goes out to everyone. That is basically the agenda of the meeting. And Mm so we show up on Monday, we've already got the agenda. We roll through it quickly. It's really fast. Then in your project, you'll have like maybe a weekly project check-in with Spencer and the designer and Jamie or CTO and whoever else and everyone working on that project will get together maybe once a week. Maybe more depends on the developers and the project. But for the developer meetings, We meet every other Friday to like talk about a specific topic. It might be, I don't know, error monitoring or someone will pick a topic and present on it. It's more fun and educational than it is like a meeting. And it's kind of like a time to get all the developers together to think about something. So we don't really have many meetings, which I love because I'm used to having lots of meetings and I love waking up and like, oh, there's nothing on my calendar today or tomorrow or the next day. How many people usually work on a project at a time? Usually two developers, maybe one, maybe three. So pretty small. Our meetings, because we do sprints, we do have a little bit more meetings than what you have. Basically, I meet with my team about once a day and we do asynchronous standups. So some teams might have daily standups where you discuss what you worked on the previous day. We do that asynchronously. And so our meetings are actually like, we do a sprint kickoff where we start the sprint. And then 
on Thursdays, we do a show and tell, which is kind of fun because it could be sharing anything that you want to talk about. It could be something you learned or it could be a complicated PR that you're working on and you want to share that with the team. And then we have a PR review meeting on Friday, which is also fun. Like if you want to share, again, a complicated PR or just review PRs as a group. And on Tuesdays are our backlog grooming that I mentioned before. And then we end with a retro every sprint. Nice. You reminded me, bringing up the topic of stand-ups. At CodeFund, we had virtual stand-ups too. So a bot would message us every day and be like, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? Blah, blah, blah. And I like that. And I tried to push for that at a different company because I was just sick of meetings. I had so many meetings at that company. The tech lead was basically like, I like to see everybody's face every morning. So no, we're going to do it Um, on cam. And I understand that. That's fine. But at the same time, I would rather have done it virtually and then maybe done it once a week. But that's something that people may forget that when you're like, oh, why can't we just do this virtually? There are people out there who are like, hey, a lot of us are working remotely. I'm kind of lonely and I really want to see everyone's face every day. And if they have the power to do that, then so be it. But please, less meetings, people, please. I'm on board with less meetings as well. I think the amount of meetings that my team has is not that much. So compared to to like having sprints and I like that a lot. I like it too, because I'm one of those people and maybe you identify with this where if I have a meeting at 10 o'clock, I might not do anything until 10. (laughs) Cause I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I have this meeting coming up. So I can't really get into like any deep work, this or that. And by the time I'm like, well, well now I might as well just like chill until the meeting. So for me, it was challenging knowing what times our meeting was if each day it was a different time. So I asked our team if we could have it at the same time every day. That way I knew like at this time every day. And as long as it's not early, because a lot of my team is on the East Coast. So as long as it wasn't too early and it was at the same time every day, then I could always remember to be there. And it just so happens that it's at a time right after I drop off the kids from school. So it works out perfectly for me. Stand up is exactly why I wake up at the time I wake up now. Because when I first moved out here, my standups were at like, six or seven my time whereas before they were like 10 eastern so like it was like okay well i have to wake up so i have to like shower and eat before i do these meetings and then it's like well you know i need to prepare for these meetings and now suddenly i'm waking up at 4 30 but now i just do it this morning i saw you tweeted something really early when i like rolled out of bed this morning i don't remember what i tweeted but i was up early i went to bed at like eight o'clock last night i get in bed usually around nine but wow I think we're about out of time. Do you have anything else you want to say on this topic? I do not. I gave a very glossy, not deep definition of agile. And I know there are people out there who believe in agile very passionately, some of them way too passionately. But if you are one of those people that's like, if you're a scrum master, which I'm not going to define, but or you're huge into agile and you're huge into like these methodologies, let us know. And maybe we can have you on the show to kind of talk about that. If that's something anyone wants to hear, let us know. And if you're that person, let us know. Cool. Cool. Well, I think this will be coming out over the holiday break. So to everyone out there, I hope everyone is safe and enjoying their holidays and not going mentally insane from having to deal with family. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. Julie, I will see you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye, Bye. everyone.